If you're anything like me, you spent your childhood assuming that one day you'd meet your Prince Charming. You'd get married, you'd have a nice house in the suburbs, a dog, a career, and a couple of kids. It never crossed your mind that Prince Charming wouldn't come along, or that tragically you'd lose him before his time, or that your marriage wouldn't work out, or even that your biological clock would have other ideas. Or maybe you never really wanted that sort of happily ever after. Maybe you never wanted a man, but you did know you always wanted children. We're living in an age where for the first time, women can embrace motherhood on their own terms. They no longer have to put their lives on hold waiting for the right man, or settling for someone who they know isn't right for them, just so they can become a mother. More women than ever before are embarking on the journey to become what's known as a solo mother by choice. And while for a lot of us it doesn't feel like a choice, but more a necessity, the bottom line is there are now options for you to be able to fulfill your dreams of motherhood if the traditional route isn't playing out as expected. The No Need for Prince Charming podcast will share stories of Australian women who have successfully become solo mothers by choice. They each have a unique story as to why they decided to pursue motherhood in this way and the journey they had to go through to make this dream a reality. The hope is that by sharing these stories, you'll have the knowledge and the confidence to embark on this amazing journey yourself if you determine it's the right one for you. In the words of Walt Disney, all of our dreams can come true if we have the courage to pursue them. All you need is faith, trust, and a little bit of pixie dust. On today's episode, I'm speaking with Ebony. Ebony describes herself as lazy more than once throughout this episode, but I think after you listen to the adventure that she goes on to get her beautiful daughter, you would call her anything but. Can't wait for you to hear it. So welcome to the podcast, Ebony. I'd love to hear a bit about your story and what led you to decide to become a solo mum by choice. Thanks for having me. Um, So I was living in London and dating many people, trying to meet someone to have a baby with. Um, I always knew I wanted to be a mum, but it just wasn't working. I froze my eggs at 36 after a bad breakup. Yeah. Um, And when I hit 39, I was like, okay, well, time's not really on my side anymore, so (laughs) I better get on with this. Um, When you froze your eggs at 36, did you consider that maybe you'd do it by yourself or it was just more an insurance plan? It was, yeah, it was an insurance plan. I mean, no, do you know what? I did consider it. I always had it in the back of my mind that I would do it by myself if I didn't meet someone. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I had considered it, but I didn't think I could do it. I thought it was just too hard. And it's like one of these things, I couldn't take the the leap between, yeah, okay, I'm going to do it if I don't meet anyone and actually doing it. Yeah. it was really tough for me. Um, so when I actually decided at 39, I I stalled a lot along the way from that point here and there because I just think it was a really such a big thing to do um, and my brain just couldn't quite get there. So I, um, I started looking at donors, I think, just after I turned 39 and I was in the UK and they have a, a donor limit of 10 donors per family. So, um, or ten, sorry, 10 families per donor in the UK. Mm-hmm. So I, um, I was on this website, an American Zytex, it's called, the sperm bank, because they had adult photos and I was just really wanted to see adult photos of the donors. So mm-hmm. um, when I looked, there was about 200 ID donors that I could choose from. And then when I clicked UK qualified, so I could use them in the UK, it went down to 20. Um, And they just, none of them 
looked or just felt like somebody that I could have a baby with, um, even though they weren't going to be in the life. It was, it was more like I just wanted someone that felt like um, there'd be somebody I would hang out with or, you know, they, were, they weren't like 18 years old. That just felt a little bit off to me. And everybody's different, I understand. There's no set criteria for choosing a donor, but that I just really wasn't feeling any of them. So I shut it down for another few months. Yeah. Um, and then when I went back and said to myself, okay, time's cracking on here, um, I thought, okay, I'm going to look back at the 200. And there was, you know, quite a few that I liked. So I just thought, okay, I'll go outside of the UK and do my treatment somewhere else. So I went into look around in Europe and the only place I could find in Europe that would take an ID donor was Denmark. Okay. So it was quite important to me that my child could, if they wanted to meet their, or write a letter to their donor when they're 18. Um, so I didn't want someone who wanted to be completely anonymous so that meant <laughs> it was most of Europe that they were all completely anonymous with. It. Yeah, that's what I <laughs> understood. So I looked at Spain, Czech Republic, Greece, Cyprus, all these places that had really good reputations for IVF, but they all stipulated that it had to be anonymous. And I'm a bit of a like, okay, well, how do I get around this? A problem solver. So I thought, well, what if I bought the sperm and, you know, somehow got the sperm bank to say that, they weren't an honest. I was just looking at every single option, but it meant, you know, in the end I landed on Denmark and it worked out quite well because a friend of mine lived there, a friend from Melbourne, so I could stay with him. Um, but, yeah, I just I didn't really know anything back then. I went to the clinic, I rang the clinic, and they just said do three rounds of IVF, test the embryos um, for chromosomal abnormalities, Mm-hmm. And we send them off together. So do three rounds so it's cheaper to send so them like back-to-back cycles for egg collection. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they didn't say they had to be back-to-back, but they just said to do three and it was three for the cost of two. And so I was oh, like, bargains, oh. <laughs> I was like, okay. Like I just sort of went along with what they said. I didn't, I didn't know anyone that had done this before. Um, so, I mean, in hindsight, I was would have been fine just to do one, but I ended up get like again things just carried on. So I, I went and did my first round um, in I think it was May two thousand nineteen, or maybe it was June two thousand and nineteen, and I think I got six oh, six fertilized and three embryos from my first round. Um, and then the next month, I was yeah I was going to do it the next month and. I was ready to take my medication that day um, and the clinic rang to say that the the doctor was going, the fertility specialist was going to a conference and there wasn't anyone else that could do my egg collection the following week. Um, right. So, uh, yeah, it was just like it was really stressful. Like they were not an easy clinic to deal with at all. Um and so then the following month was summer holidays and they were all on summer holidays, like took a six-week break. So I was... So how does anyone with fertility issues get pregnant in Denmark when they have to I know, it was really stressful. And so then it, you know, it rolled around to August and I, um, I actually was at a festival with a friend and my friend's brother and asked 
my friend's brother to be my donor at the festival. So things, again, just took a little bit of time um, and we discussed co-parenting and whether we'd go ahead with that. In the end, that sort of fell away. But, again, things had just been strung out a little bit. And then just a week before I was going back to Denmark, finally, I think it was October by this point, My one of my good friends came out of the woodworks and said that he wanted to be my donor. Yes. So, um, so we talked about it and he made the decision quite quickly um, and he flew over to Denmark with me um, and donated the sperm and signed the sperm away to me yeah. even in the event of his death. Um, so and then he flew back to London and... Just day by day, I could sort of feel him changing his mind. Uh, okay. <laughs> he like starts to understand the yeah, the he, exactly. He makes decisions quite quickly and like normally just rolls with it. But obviously, this is pretty big. Um, so suddenly, it was you know asking me about the, the like what would happen if I died, and then these are really you know valid things to consider um, because he didn't want to be a parent or a co-parent. He just was going to donate, and I would do the full parenting. Um, so, again, he just, the night before my egg retrieval, he changed his mind and he was like, I'm out. So um, that was stressful again. Um, and I then, I got, I think I got four embryos. So I used the, a, a donor. It was actually a different donor than the first one, but it was still a um, from the sperm bank, from the same sperm bank. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I got four embryos that time and then came back and did back-to-back and did the following month, which was November 2019, I did another round. And I personally don't think back-to-back's the way to go. I got one embryo that time. It's pretty tough on your body, isn't it, all those exactly. hormones and even the egg collections, like it can take a bit to recover from that. I couldn't imagine doing one the next month. Ow. Yeah, I, I, you know what, I wasn't even going to do the third one. I said no, it was just that. Second one was really tough on me. The first one was completely fine, but I really struggled the second time. And I I just woke up one day and I'm like, no, look, do you know what? I'm if I'm gonna ever do the third one, I need to do it now because I was going back to Australia in December and yeah. I didn't want it to drag out till like February the following year. So I just wanted to put it behind me and have done all my collections. So yeah, I did it. And then they got sent off for chromosomal testing and I got three, sorry, two normal embryos and they were both from the very first round. Oh, wow. So so the second and third round were a complete waste of time and money. Um, But, you know, you're not going to know until you've tried. So, um, yeah, so I went in, I had my 40th birthday in January and then in February I went to implant an embryo and had my lining checked and it was quite thin so I was I didn't really know what to do my clinic were terrible they didn't even answer the phone it was like a Friday and I, I just didn't hear back from them probably so probably holidays again like they were all the summer <laughs> I mean they were so bad I would never recommend them I won't mention who they were but um this just didn't really seem to feel like there was any kind of customer service and which you really just need someone to be holding your hand, especially when you're doing it by yourself. So 
um, I just gave up. I just thought, okay, well, I'm not going to do a transfer now this time because I didn't know whether to keep taking the estrogen or to stop. So I got a nutritionist, um, a specific fertility nutritionist who helped women over 40 get pregnant and she recommended doing this Dutch test, which took another three months, so it sort of oh, dragged wow. out again. Yeah. <laughs> um, so at the time I did my first transfer, it was June or July um, 2019, yeah, um, and it worked. So I got pregnant the first transfer, so it's obviously over the moon. Yeah. Um, and then had a miscarriage, unfortunately. So I was, yeah, it was awful. Um, I sort of thought I was okay. And then I try. I actually just kind of had, I went back to the same festival from the year before and saw my friend again. And he was like, okay, well, let's just try. Like yeah. He was more open to it. Um, and so we tried. And so I saw I was just like, okay, after all that, maybe this is how the story is going to end. I've got this co-parent. And when that was negative, I really, like, had a bit of a, like, spiral, I guess. I think that just the grief of the miscarriage, I just hadn't processed it. Did you just sort of go straight into trying to get pregnant again and just, I'm going to park that, it's just part of the process? Well, I I didn't, I just didn't really deal with it. Like I went straight back to work. I thought I was okay, but obviously your body stores like all your emotions. So I was some, in some capacity, just holding on to this. And I don't know why I didn't deal with it. It just didn't seem to be the right time, I guess. Maybe I was just too upset and Mm. I just got on with things. And so I actually had just kind of thought, oh, well, I'll let loose a bit at this festival with my friends. And I hadn't really drunk because I was on this strict diet from <laughs> fertility nutritionist. So I, I really let loose and then, you know, made this plan with my friend to try with him. So I thought, okay. And I, at, at this point as well, I decided I, I just couldn't do any more IVF and medication because even the medication around the transfer was just a lot. Like actually that for me was the hardest medication. So um, it just really kind of had me so up and down. So yeah, I had at this point started looking at online donors. So I'd looked on various online websites for, for donors and was surprised at how many there were and, and the like the really good caliber of them as well. So um, so I had that as a plan and then I tried with my friend. When that didn't work, I was I just really like I lost it. Like I went to my GP and he's like, I think, you know, you should consider adoption. You can't keep going like this. Like it had, you know, just been going on for a while. I mean, I know people go through infertility and go, go through it for years and it, it's heartbreaking. It's really tough. So I... Um, my GP just signed me off work for a few weeks um, and said, like, just see how you feel. Um, so I'd found these donors online in America because mm-hmm. I, I sort of looked at everything. I'd, I'd FaceTimed with a guy in the UK and the, the rules seem to be in the UK that if you're a single woman, the sperm donor has or well, can turn around and say that they have rights to the child. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So if you're in a lesbian relationship or, you know, a same-sex partnership, 
then there's two parents so it's different but I'm not sure if it's still the same now but I think it is back then I was like okay I just don't feel that comfortable going with someone in the UK um and so I sort of looked around in Europe at people and but I found a couple in America that I thought were great so I went over and met two donors over there and decided one of them I thought I met him and I was like well he's great like he's so lovely he's just you know everything I would want in a donor so um, he's just really kind and really soft and humble and just a nice person so um, and the other one concept to me thinking of like meeting the donor in rather than just someone on a piece of paper I know it's really it's really wasn't how I had pictured things to go either like it just it for me it was like I just couldn't do that my body just needed that break and I'm the kind of person that just like if I want something I just keep going after it until I get it so I'm like okay my body needs a break but I'm not gonna take a break so this is just like a way around it and I you know it wasn't until I really looked into it that I kind of came around to the idea of it being like a good way to to go like it wasn't I wasn't tied to it I was happy with a donor from a sperm bank, but it also felt nice that my child could meet them whenever they wanted. And and also I just needed that distance though. Like America felt like, oh well, they're not going to come after my child and they've, you know, they live far away. So it, it just felt a little bit better. But yeah, so the first guy I met, he was kind of offering to do it naturally. And I just was like, oh no. And he was married actually. He'd used an egg donor to have children and yeah, I think his wife knew that he donated, but like on a higher level. Did you know that he donated that way? Hmm. No, I'm pretty sure not. And he was fine when I said I didn't want to do it that way. <laughs> but that just ruled him out immediately for me. Like it just, yeah, it just didn't sit right with me. So, and then, yeah, the other one was just a lot nicer, <laughs> I guess. Probably even more important if you're going down that route of like a known donor that you really do trust your, your gut instinct when you meet yeah, them, isn't it? Exactly. And little red flags, run. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so I tried with, I tried out by artificial insemination with that donor and he donated a few times. He sort of knew the ropes. Like I did not know what I was doing at all, but he just like knew how to do everything. So um, it was like basically the turkey based method. <laughs> and then I went back to London and that, that round didn't work, but I thought, you know, what, I'm, I was fine with that. I wasn't in the best place at that point still after kind of still processing the miscarriage and everything. I just decided to take six months off work as a sabbatical. Yeah. And, you know, I was coming up to 41 at that point. So I'm like, it's now or never for me. I need to like, make you know I need to give myself every opportunity and feel like I've tried everything so I thought okay I'll de-stress I'll go back to Australia base myself there for six months and then I'll go over to America sort of every month or stay over there for a bit and come back and hopefully it will work sooner rather than later but I've got six months so um, so I came back to Melbourne and the first thing I did actually was get my tubes tested mm-hmm. um, and they were blocked and I was just like beside myself. <laughs> like I was, I just couldn't get out of bed for like 
three days. I was just crying, like, how has this happened? I just, I was devastated. <laughs> like, my mum had to console me. It was just like I was living back at my mum's house. Yeah. Like, how is this, like, happening? It just didn't, I don't know, it was tough. It was really tough. And then I was looking at getting a lap, laparoscopy, I think it was called. Mm-hmm. I spoke to an, an IVF specialist in Melbourne. So I was like, okay, well, I'm going to have to do IVF. Um, and then I just kind of had this feeling like I, can't, I did a lot of research about whether you could unblock tubes. Um, and someone, a lot of people were sort of saying like it can be that your muscles tighten up when they go to put that blue dye through okay. yeah. the, the, like through the tubes to see whether it, comes out and see whether they're clear so I thought you know what I'm gonna give it another go um, before I go and have this like operation basically I'm just gonna see whether that's the case because just the way that it was like they were both blocked right from the top like that felt like it could be just that the muscles had tightened up so I went back and I got tested again and they were clear (laughs) I was so happy (laughs) I was so, so lucky that you did you trusted your gut again and went yeah, back. Yeah. I was like celebrating. I'm like, and I thought, and I was about to go to America. I basically had to leave within like three days because of where my cycle was. Mm-hmm. So I told the donor I wasn't coming and then I was back on and I thought, you know what, I'm gonna treat myself. I'm gonna book this really nice like Airbnb farmhouse near where he lived. Um it was kind of in the middle of nowhere, but it had like chickens. You could see the stars and it's really beautiful. That's wonderful. Um, yeah. So, and, it, you know, it was just like a bit of a treat because I felt like I'd been through a lot. Um, so, yeah, I went over to America again and I, I was kind of like he was, the donor was donating twice to me. So like a bit before my ovulation day and then, the day of my ovulation day. So we've done like one donation. Um, And then the next one was going to be on the Sunday, which was my ovulation day. And then there were these raging fires in California at the time. So I, um, everything was like, there was no power. I was in this farmhouse in the middle of nowhere. And my friend was in Melbourne, like, monitoring these fires for me because I was just a little bit worried like how am I even going to know whether I'm being evacuated like do they know that I'm here my phone's English so but I did get this alert in the middle of the night at like 4am saying you've got to leave you're in an evacuated zone so I'd already packed my bag the night before because I was sort of knew that this might be happening um so I just drove, like, had to drive out in the middle of the night, like 4 a.m. And everybody was driving out. So it was like these country roads and driving back to San Francisco just as the sun came up at 6 o'clock. And I'm like, gosh, this is stressful again. Um, but the Airbnb owners had, a like, a garage at the bottom of their place in San Francisco. So they let me just, like, put my stuff there and I lay down. But I was like, okay, so... I emailed the donor. I didn't have his phone number, but I emailed him and I was like, okay, it's ovulation day. I'm in um, a garage somewhere. <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I didn't know what to do. I was like, um, I still really wanted to do the donation. It's like, I've come this far. This is the perfect day, really. Um, and he's like, oh, it's fine. Just come back up. And he seemed to be in this like little pocket that hadn't been evacuated. So he's like, just come up to my place. Um, it's fine up here. So 
sort of got in the car a little bit nervous, like, mm. <laughs> is this like the right thing to do? And it was so windy. So I was on the bridges in San Francisco, just driving north and like my car was just blowing around in the wind and it just didn't feel great. And my friend, I looked down at my Google Maps and my friend who was monitoring this fire in Melbourne, she's like, do not go back. That fire is huge. I'm like, okay. So I pulled off onto the side of the road and I said to him, I just emailed him like, I don't think I can come back up there. It's it's um it's too close to the evacuated zone. And he's like, oh it's fine here, but if you want to meet, you know, we can meet somewhere else. So we met in this supermarket car park outside of the evacuated zone. Um, <laughs> and again, it was like pitch black, no, like no lights anywhere, all the power was off. So he just walked up with this box, like little cupcake box, it looked like to me, with the sperm inside. And I'm like, okay, well, where am I even going to go? <laughs> um, so I managed to like use my iPhone torch to go to the back of the supermarket where there was the toilets and go in there to do this it was just like oh my god this feels really stressful but it's surely got to be how my story ends like I've driven this fire to get pregnant um but it was yeah it was a lot so I just after that the next day I just drove to the coast you know and I just felt so much better like being yeah. by the water after all of that so yeah I just sort of intended to stay in California until my next cycle just seeing like hoping that the, this one worked but if not I would try again the next cycle so just really like road tripped around and had a really nice time but unfortunately <laughs> I did a pregnancy test like just I can't re- even really remember the timing of it but as soon as I could basically and it was negative so I was like devastated but I was hoping that was going to be like the most amazing <laughs> conception story of everything you had to battle through to get and it was- I know I know so was I and the thing was I'd talked to the donor previously when I met up with him and said look I'm gonna stick around and you know, if it doesn't work this cycle, I'll be around for next cycle. And he was like, oh, yeah, that's cool, but I might be going on holiday and, like, you can just come and meet me on holiday. And I'm like, oh, again, he was going on holiday with his girlfriend. He had a girlfriend. So I'm like, okay, that seems a bit strange. But I was just hoping it would work so I wouldn't, like, I wouldn't have to face that problem. But um, once I did that test, I sort of emailed, like, okay, um, where are you going on holiday? <laughs> and is it possible to meet up and he told me where he's going it was these islands off the coast of Santa Barbara and I was just like um there was it was just a really strange he was a bit of a like camper and there was no hotels or anything it was he was just camping there so I don't think he thought it through at all um so I was just like well logistically how is that going to work and I just didn't hear back from him so I was like, oh, okay. So I'm like sort of like in limbo now about what to do. And obviously it just wasn't going to work and he just couldn't really have that conversation, I guess. But um, so I was, yeah, I was sort of staying with friends here and there in California. I'd driven down to LA at this point. And then I was staying, um, yeah, just staying with friends and stuff. And I finally realised like it's just not going to happen because, well, he hadn't responded and I just thought, okay, I'm going to give him an out and just say, 
I don't think it's going to work this time. And he then wrote back and was like, yeah, I don't think it's going to work this time. I just needed so, you to say that, so thanks. Yeah. yeah, I know. I just really needed him to say that. But at, at that point I was like looking online again for other donors in America um, and I found a guy in L.A. and I was like, he he was actually on holiday outside of L.A. but he was going to be back in L.A. like on a couple of days. So we met up and I was like, oh, I wasn't really sure about him, but oh, my mum was like, you can't have a designer baby, just choose anyone, <laughs> just <laughs> go with uh, go with this person. But, like, it was hard. Like, he was a little bit older and he was, I don't know, it's, yeah, I he was, a, he was a really nice person and he was wanting to spend a lot of time with me. I don't know, and it just felt a little bit odd. And I wanted to spend time with him just to get to know him a bit better. But I felt like, and I think the, this is a really good reason for not using an own donor. I felt like the more he told me, the more I wasn't sure. Like his brother was schizophrenic or something. Like, or maybe it was his cousin. I don't know. It was just too much stuff yeah. that he was telling me. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. So, um, yeah, I just uh, I can be a little bit indecisive sometimes. So it was just. I don't know. I was every day kind of talk, talking to my friends on the phone, like, should I do this? Should I not do this? And um, I, I used to go to this cafe every day in Los Feliz where it was obviously John Ham's local cafe because he was there like most days and I would yeah. just order my brunch and coffee there. And I was like, oh, my God, I just want to ask John Ham to be my donor. He's <laughs> right behind me. Um, and he'd come back every day and I'd be like, oh, maybe I could ask him today. <laughs> um I didn't. So, yeah, I did. I ended up going with this donor in LA, just trying just the one time. I'm like, okay, I'm all the way here. And ultimately I want to get pregnant. So, yeah, I I tried with um, that donor and then I flew back to Melbourne pretty much straight away after that. this one wasn't in the toilets in a dark car park? (laughs) No. (laughs) This was in like, yeah, I rented an Airbnb in the Hollywood Hills. I was, I mean, it was this cheap little... There's this cheap little kind of a room in a house, um, but it had like a bathroom and stuff. And I just had, I had a really nice time. <laughs> but yeah, I um I flew back to Melbourne and then again was like living with my parents. Um, I was living with my dad. Um, and yeah, it was another negative test. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I was just, I was really devastated. I'm like, oh, this is just getting tough. I mean, I know that people go through this all the time. It's just, I, I think I was just putting so much into it because I wasn't working. So I was so focused on it. But um, yeah, so then the following month, I was going to potentially either go back to America or I was trying to get the donor to fly to Australia. Um, because is this the original donor? Or yeah, the, the original donor. So that he. Fire donor. Yeah, he could donate to a clinic and then I would just have his sperm and I wouldn't have to keep going back to America. Oh, yeah. Because, um, yeah, that wasn't really, like, it was nice, but I was spending a lot of money. So, yeah, um, yeah. so he it just ended up, my cycle being ended up being a bit late and I it was too close to Christmas. So it's just like you're so dependent on when you get your period and, like, mm-hmm. like I'm like, yeah, you can make a plan, but it just it just changes so you have to wonder how people just get pregnant (laughs) (laughs) yeah so I ended up again looking for a donor in Melbourne and I found someone that like I was staying with my sister part of the time and getting I actually got getting an Airbnb near her and 
he just lived like five minutes from my sister. <laughs> so I'm like, wow, I've been going all the way to America and like he was somebody right here. So anyway, I he was like lovely. He was such a lovely person. Again, um, did you find him online? I did, yeah. I found him online. And I did like an ex- when I say I find these people online, I literally do so much searching. Like, like I don't, you know, there's a lot of people there and I talk to a lot of people, I guess, and get a feel for them before I make a decision. And like I decided to meet up with he didn't have a photo actually and I I actually just sent emails to people saying that didn't have photos and said if you're interested in being my donor would you mind sending a photo and yeah he was yeah he was like really attractive really well educated so and he was just we met up and he was just like oh there's no red flags for me and he was just so lovely he's just really wholesome and nice and um so yeah we tried um and yeah again <laughs> that didn't work and I was I was really devastated at this point I was like oh my god I just remember like crying on the bathroom floor like oh my god what am I like I don't know when this is ever like you just get to the point where you think it's never gonna work like that's how I felt like um but yeah I just you know I ended up doing a Reiki session actually and just shifting my energy a little bit and it was amazing, completely amazing and felt a lot better and was like, okay, what am I going to do now? So I was speaking to the donor in America and he was like, okay, I will come out to Australia. I got the flight on my frequent flyer points um, and got him to fly to Australia for a week. So we tried again artificial insemination and and then he also donated to the clinic and like he we also just spent a week together which was really nice like getting to know him and my friends met him and they were like oh he's great like he's perfect I'm like yeah I know he's great so yeah that was really nice actually just to have that time to so if my daughter ever wants to meet him it's you know it's somebody that I know now um so yeah so he donated to the clinic and so how did you go was, about organising that with the clinic? Did you just ring them up and say, I want your help and I've got someone who's willing to donate this boom? Yeah, so, yeah, I just, yeah, we just said that we were trying to have a baby. <laughs> We'd come in and, yeah, it was, yeah, we just said that we were, like, together. Yeah. Um, because I'd already, like, I mean, that risk was with me. I guess sometimes they want to test the sperm but I'd already used the sperm for like you know doing artificial insemination so it was it was kind of essentially like we we're a couple we tried yeah. that way before so um yeah we just yeah he donated to the clinic and so then that just felt like a little bit easier for me from that point so if it didn't work then in the January I had the sperm in the clinic and I was ready I guess to do IVF again mm. it didn't work and yeah unfortunately it didn't work so I um I just signed up for another round of IVF and it was so much easier doing it in Australia I can't even tell you it was just like it was cheaper they don't um, just stop you so they can go on holidays I know, yeah it was so it was just like a breeze of an experience in comparison to what I'd been through before so yeah, um, but I I was really hopeful with 10 follicles. Um, I'd also done a lot of sort of work on myself around this point. So 
you know, once I had that rock bottom moment where I was crying on the bathroom floor, I'm like, okay, this is making me unhappy and I need to figure out how to be happy because I can't rely on this external thing to make me happy. I've got to feel that within me. So I, yeah, I really did a lot of mindset work and I was feeling a lot better. So I've, yeah, I had 10, 10 follicles when they were doing the scans and then I went in and had this, had my egg retrieval and they write the number on your hand. And I came, when I sort of woke up, there was a one there and I was like, oh, there must be like, I mean, 11, <laughs> I got 11 eggs, but it was actually one. Oh, egg. Okay. And I thought like from 10 follicles, I thought I would have like eight to 10 eggs. And I was really like, oh, well, I, I do you know what? I just felt kind of like things were happening and things were going to, work out for me at this point so I didn't actually feel that bad like I should have felt worse than I did but I'm like um I just had this like sort of internal certainty that I didn't have before and I think that really shifted things for me um so you were just focused that I only need one and I've got one so yeah I only need right. one and if it doesn't work this time there's always next month like I'd been so kind of stuck I think in it has to be this month so controlling about it and I just had such a tight grip on it for so long it was what I wanted it's what it, almost like I needed it to to fulfill me in some way yeah. and it like I'd let go of all of that and I had surrendered and I sort of looked back at my patterning in my life and whenever I surrender <laughs> I get what I want it's like the fast track to magnetism for me so I felt like I was in that place and this is just a test and I got one, but I'm like, I only need one. It's fine. So I transferred it as a day three embryo and it didn't take, but I was just like, okay, well, there's next month and I'll do an IUI because I don't want to do back-to-back IVF again. So, um, and it was coming to the end of my sabbatical as well. The March was the next month was the last month and I had had some holidays. So I extended it till April, but, um, it was also the start of the pandemic as March, 2020. Mm. Everyone was just, I remember going in for my IUI and everyone was just starting to wear masks in Sydney. Um, and I had an IUI and it worked. I was like, I had that certainty. Like, I was just like, oh, this is, I think this is it. This is definitely going to be it. I was right. It was. So, yeah, it finally happened. God, after um, so long, it just, it just yeah. happened on your way. It's just like, I think, yeah, just feeling so good about it just had really kind of helped me to get there, I think. But yeah, I mean, it wasn't. It was a medicated IUI as well. Like, were you yeah, doing? it was a medicated one. And they were, the, doc, the fertility specialist was like, oh, there's four follicles. I don't think you should do it. Or, you know, he said like, you might have, High risk you have the risk of multiples and, you know, you don't have to do this or I don't think you should. I, I mean, he was like, not really sure about it. I was like, we are definitely doing this. We are definitely, definitely doing this. So, and I just didn't think it would be twins and it, it wasn't. So, um, yeah, it was yeah, March 2020 that I got pregnant. But obviously it wasn't without anxiety. Like I had bleeding a few times, which is the same as what I had with my miscarriage. I was, oh, I spent like two days in hospital when I had bleeding, like just waiting to find out whether there was still a baby there. It was just so stressful, like really stressful when you're on your own, I think. Um, And I was back living with my parents. Like it was the pandemic had really started and it was really kicking off wasn't it yeah so I couldn't really go back to London at that point um 
I just didn't want to fly. I didn't want to fly before 12 weeks. So I stayed, yeah, living with my dad for a couple of weeks. And then I, yeah, got an Airbnb in the city because my dad lives in the middle of nowhere. So yeah. it was a little bit isolating after not living with your parents since you were sort of 18. It was tough, like 41, to go back and be pregnant living with my dad. So, yeah, so the last few weeks I just got an Airbnb and then, uh, after my 12-week scan, I flew back to London. Oh, the borders hadn't closed then. You could actually get back. Yeah. I mean, the borders never really closed in the UK. <laughs> they just they let, people, they let people in. You just can't come back. <laughs> you couldn't come back. No, you couldn't come back. But, yeah, I got back over there and I just, yeah, had my pregnancy in London in the pandemic. But, you know, it wasn't too bad. I felt a little bit lonely sometimes just because of, um not being able to see people as frequently as I normally would and also like my friends were still kind of doing the same things as they were before and I hadn't really made the mum friends yet in my mum's group and um sort of felt like I didn't really know my place I couldn't go out drinking or anything but I didn't have just the mum friends to hang out with on the weekends so but you know it was good I had a baby moon plan but that got cancelled that was to Croatia so right before we were going (laughs) it was just like everything yeah everything was getting cancelled so all those things I missed out on but I had a small baby shower of six people because that was the maximum at the time that you could have um but it was good it was really good um yeah so post 12 weeks you didn't have any other complications or anything with your pregnancy no I mean I was a little bit on edge about it because I just I couldn't help it I guess um so I did when I I when I didn't feel like the kicks they they just say come in if you don't feel it for a while so there were a couple of occasions when I was like oh I'm not sure so I went in just to be monitored but um yeah it's just for peace of mind really but there wasn't anything other than that and so you had your daughter in London Yes. Yeah. So yeah, I just started maternity leave. I was on my second day of maternity leave and I was going to have three weeks before her due date. Um, And I went in for a scan and the woman said, oh, I don't know if the stomach's grown in the last two weeks. Um, You should go over and just get that checked out. And when I went over there, they were like, oh, I think you should just be induced. And I just wasn't ready. I was so scared yeah. at that point. I like, you know, in the, the house isn't ready. Like you haven't done anything because you've just done three weeks. I'm getting it all done there. Yeah, exactly. I had three weeks to sort myself out. And I, um, I, yeah, they wanted me to induce me. And I'm like, I just want another scan. I just want to go back because they couldn't really see because her knees were up, so they couldn't really tell whether her stomach had or hadn't grown in that two weeks because yeah. it was sort of blocked. So I wanted another scan, and they're like, well, that's just not how it works. It's not possible. Um, it was a different department. They couldn't organise another scan. So I went home and oh, I just couldn't sleep. So in the middle of the night at like 1 a.m., I went to the hospital and I waited till like 6 a.m. to see a doctor. And then she was like really rude to me. She was like, are you just here for a chat? <laughs> I was Because I just wanted someone to tell me like it would be okay and yeah. I didn't need to be induced. I just needed some like assurance and she just wasn't happy about it. She was probably at the end of her shift, all night shift. She was like, I think you should be induced. I'm booking a bed for you. You need to be back here by 8. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so 
I went in, this was the Wednesday morning, and they induced me with the gel. And the labour just stopped and started that day and then the next day. The next day that it was so, the pain was so bad that I booked in for a C-section for the Friday. So this is the Thursday. I'm like, I couldn't believe it. And to to be honest, when I went into labour, the pain on that Thursday was just as bad as labour. So I wasn't like dreaming it. It was really, really bad. But it stopped. So my labour just stopped and started. And then Friday morning, they said, okay, we'll book you into the labour ward, but we're just waiting for a bed. Um, so I got in bed at like 7 p.m. that night. So I'd been on the ward since Wednesday morning and it was like Friday night. And I, luckily my friend lived near the hospital. So like you're allowed to walk around the hospital. I would just go to her house for dinner and come back. <laughs> <laughs> There's some contractions while you're there, come back. Yeah, exactly. I was having contractions, just watching a little bit of the wire. <laughs> um, yeah, so anyway, yeah, Friday night they got, I got onto the ward and about 7 and they broke my waters like 10 past 7, I think, and then it just happened so quickly. Like it, the contractions just came on so heavy and so fast. Mm-hmm. I had the like cannula thing put in my hand for the epidural, but I thought I'm going to try like just giving it a go first and when it gets too much I'll get the epidural. Um, and then, like, at 8 p.m., they switched shifts and this new midwife came on. And I didn't know this till later, but it was her first birth, like, that she was oh. dying. And I was like, I definitely would have asked for another. I was, would have just been too nervous to have someone's first birth as mine. But um, if you've been there for three days already. Yeah, yeah I know. Yeah. Um, barely slept. My doula was there, which was good. I had a doula. And then my friend came down to drop the hospital bag off, the one that just lived um down the road and then I was just like you may as well stay if you want so she because she was like happy to to help out as well so it was nice to have her there um yeah so my contractions yeah they were pretty intense for about three hours and then I went to say well I said I need the epidural now this is too much and I just had the gas in there before and they said I'm um I'm nine centimeters dilated I think so I just yeah, I was ready to push and thinking, okay, um, it'll be soon then. And my, and we're on, this was the 20th of November and um, my brother died on the 21st of November, like years ago, like 20 years ago. And I, all week I'd been like, okay, I don't want to have the baby on the anniversary of his death, which is yeah. the 21st because it just it was such a heavy day and, so I was pushing at like 10.30, like, okay. Took an hour and a half. <laughs> yeah, actually, it was, it was about 10 and my friend said it's not going to be the 21st. I remember her vividly saying that. And, yeah, actually, it might have been early. But anyway, she came at 12.04, so she waited <gasps> four minutes. Damn you. <laughs> but it felt really special in the end. I was like, oh, that's so nice. It's like him turning a sad day into a happy day. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it just like also felt like he was a part of her. It's like her uncle and, yeah, so it felt really nice. Um, But, yeah, it was amazing. (laughs) I was just completely like in love straight away. I actually thought I was going to have a boy. I bought like some boys' clothes and stuff. I don't know why. Oh, you didn't find out what you were having? No, I didn't find out. So I um, I was just convinced. I just saw myself with a boy for some reason. So I was really shocked (laughs) for a little bit. (laughs) 
<laughs> I was like, oh, yeah. But, I mean, obviously, like, so happy, but just when you have an expectation and it's not met, it's like you're just a little bit off with it. And it's like I projected my whole life with a boy. But anyway, I was, yeah, I can't imagine life with a boy now, obviously, because I have a girl. But, yeah, it was yeah, I went down, I think I had her at 12.04 and I got down to the back to the labour ward about three in the morning by the time everything was like cleared up and done. So three or 3.30, my doula came down with me and then she let me sleep. So she held the baby while I slept for a bit. So I woke up at like eight and um, yeah, showered and stuff when she was there. So that was really nice, but it was like chaotic on the labour ward. It's like just like 30 beds with curtains. So it's like babies crying, like you can just hear husbands talking to their wives. Like it's just a lot. It's chaotic. Because I don't think it's like in Melbourne where you get a private room. Um, no, I was in private hospitals. I have nothing to compare that to. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was pretty ready to go home. By That was the Saturday morning. And then by Sunday in the morning, I was like, I'm going home. I just wanted to be back in my own house. And my doula went home and um, she was going to be back at my house waiting for me, but it's just all the paperwork. Like it took them all day to discharge me. Like, so I was ready to go at like nine and I got discharged at five. Really? Oh. Yeah. I just kept asking and they just like, oh, they she had a little birthmark thing on her back and they wanted to check that out. So I think that took a few hours and then. Oh, it was yeah I got anyway I got home and my doula was there for the first night so if anyone's like doing it on their own which probably a lot of your listeners are a doula having someone there when you get home is just so valuable um she was amazing and then you yeah, had lots of people recommending getting a doula I didn't even know they existed to be honest yeah no. I didn't either a friend of mine had got one and this was the same one that she'd used but yeah mine was really good um because then that second night I was so shell-shocked because she just wouldn't sleep at all in the next to me crib so she'd only sleep on me and I was told don't let them sleep on you because it's a risk and she was just falling asleep and I was started seeing things I was so delirious I just couldn't stay awake any longer so she would Mm -hmm. just sort of have to fall asleep on me because I'd been awake for so long and at that point I yeah, I booked my doula to come back and then I found another person that would, so every maybe like three days I had somebody come in to just be there overnight and also one of my friends would come and stay in the night. He would just sleep upstairs and and he was working, but everyone was working from home at that point. So yeah. he would say like if it gets to whatever time, just wake me up, but I would, I would just feel bad. So I'm like, okay, if it gets to 4 a.m., I'm going to wake him, but I mean, she would normally go to sleep at like 3 um but it was just like I had another friend of a friend who would come around and hold her or like just yeah, be with pretty her awesome support network then, but yeah so. yeah I mean people just came out of the woodworks like when they know you're doing it on your own they're just happy to help so it was good but I did like feel like oh I didn't realize how hard it was like my mom had offered to come over and I'm like oh well let's just see how it goes but actually I was on the phone to her, like, can you just go over here? So um, she managed to get a flight over from Australia, which was good, and she stayed for six weeks. So that was really nice. And so you're obviously not in London now. How long did you stay there after your daughter was born? Um, How did that kind of play out? Yeah, so I was there for most of, well, 
till September last year. So sort of like 10, I think she was about 10 months old. Um, and my mum got cancer actually. So we ended up just rushing back to Australia last, maybe October. Yeah. Um, and we had to do two weeks hotel, two weeks quarantine in Darwin, which was pretty full on um, with the baby. But it was, you know, we just had to do it. So, um, yeah, we got back and I didn't expect to be moving back. I left all my stuff there. I just locked it in my daughter's room and then rented the rest of my flat out and just, yeah, left in a rush and thinking I rented it out for six months thinking, I'm not going to be gone that long, but I got back to Australia and I was like, oh my God, it's so much easier here. <laughs> it's so much easier for us. Like I had an apartment there, so I had stairs and carrying the pram up and down the stairs. And I can't even imagine at this age when she's walking, how I would be like, there's so many stairs and there's stairs from the front door to the ground. And yeah, it would just be so difficult. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously people do it all the time, but on your own, it's a bit harder. Um so yeah, I just like lived five minutes from my sister. Um and my dad's around, he's an hour and a half. My mom's in Queensland, I'm in Melbourne, but it's yeah. still nice to be closer to her. So yeah, we, we just moved back unexpectedly. And do you plan on going back or you think you're still here now? No, I um now I'm trying to ship all my stuff back and yeah, settling back here. I just yeah, I love it. It's been really easy. I can't believe how cold it is in Melbourne, but other than that, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's the coldest day of the year. So you can Yeah. So yeah, I've like reconnected with a lot of friends that moved back from London when they had kids. Um, so that's been really nice. And yeah, just catching up with old friends and um life's just different. Like all the things I love doing in London. Once I had a baby, I couldn't really do them anyway. Mm. Yeah, like I traveled Europe a lot with my friends and go would go and explore the UK and everything's just a lot harder with a baby. Like it's all manageable. I I still went to the same festival that I went to every year and I took Lila. Yeah, um, and she loved it. She was about eight months old and she just had sensory overload, <laughs> looking at everything. And she was up pretty late, but like she'd just fall asleep in the pram whenever she got tired. And so I think like you know, with one baby, you can do anything you used to do. It's just a lot more. You have to be a lot more organized, and there's a lot more logistics. Mm. And then it's, I think it's probably like a window, and then they get to an age where. They're just like, I don't want a bar of whatever you're doing. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you have to have an iPad. Yeah, yeah. We just bought that to get through COVID. So yeah, yeah. I mean, we went. We've been to Sydney and then to Queensland to see Mum, and it's yeah, like on the plane, it's just so stressful. Like, how are they going to go? And um, yeah, having the iPad is just a bit of a lifesaver. I never thought I'd be like just sit here in front of the iPad, but you do what you yeah, have to. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So I guess when you look at your journey now and you've went through clinics with anonymous donor release donors, you went um, with known donor as well. Is there any advice that you'd give anyone else who's considering the non-donor route of like what to look for or how to go about it? Um, so, yeah, with the known donor, well, I would just say like be really careful actually because there can be people that are quite predatory with it. Um, okay. So there's websites that are good i think like pride angel and coparent.com i think it's called but then there's a lot of facebook groups i know there's one in australia that people recommend and i actually did meet someone from that group who was lovely um 
but I am I feel like I'm quite intuitive with people so kind of like well talk to them for a while and figure them out um yeah like I and also I'd done so much internet dating I was like I'm gonna use my skills from that (laughs) and just figure out these people so yeah just be really careful um get a contract in place just outlining exactly what the situation is because that will be I think I mean I don't know the laws everywhere but I believe it's it is recognized um so yeah just do sort of the risk analysis of it um but I do think like especially if you don't have money like it's a really good option if you don't have the money for IVF I know other people many other people just from meeting people um uh in the UK and in America that have done it that way and they've had a really good experience I don't I haven't met anyone that's had a bad experience but I I don't you know I haven't experienced everybody's situation so yeah and have you got an ongoing relationship with the donor then do you keep in contact with him or well that he said that's completely up to me and so he has a few other donor children as well and it varies as to what they send him so I originally sent things every pictures every few months and he would always be really like over the moon to get them and say that he looked at them a few times and he was like so happy to hear about my daughter um, but since she was one, I just haven't got around to it. Yeah. Um, like I will, yeah, I definitely will. And I know that he likes to, but he would never email me and say, can I see a yeah. picture? So yeah, it's, it's completely up to me. And I think that's something you have to have a conversation with about to, with the person. Cause I know like a lot of men do do donation because they want to get pictures regularly and just like see how everything's going um but for me it just works really well this way because I don't feel any pressure to send anything um but I will and is there ability for you to make connections with the other donor children that he has had in other families and build like the dibbling relationship um yes he's thinking about organizing a Facebook group he said so I'm not sure whether he's done that um but I I believe that he he was going to do that yeah so I think so yeah yeah. He, he mentioned it but I haven't followed that up I feel like it's more something that's up to my daughter when she's a little bit older but I think she'll be interested and she'll have a lot of yeah a lot of dibbling I'm assuming most of them would be in the states anyway since he was from there yeah they are yeah there's none in Australia and so when you look back now is there anything that you think you would do differently if you were to have your time again um you know I wouldn't wait as long as I did I would have moved through my fears a lot earlier yeah I think because like I know the things that were holding me back were like these deep-rooted fears of just like the responsibility and I was always like quite lazy and I'm like I don't know how like I just remember being like after work I can barely manage to get myself up my flight of stairs to like go to bed how am I gonna look after a child and I'm like I don't know if I can do this um but you derive a lot of energy from your child so I would just say to people don't worry so much about that like it's gonna be fine so yeah for me I would just I probably would have done it earlier and I wouldn't have delayed along the way so much. Um, but then, you know, it all happened in perfect timing for me as well. Um, so I don't have any regrets, but yeah, I know a lot more now um, and could have saved myself probably a lot of money and time. <laughs> <laughs>
yeah and when you when you look back now and you consider the people that were close friends that had offered to be donors are you glad that that didn't work out I'm so glad yeah I'm really glad um I just like even at the time when my friend offered I wasn't really sure about it but I felt like it was an opportunity I couldn't pass up because it would just be that person there that was so invested in my child that would also support me but I I know a friend that's done it this way with a friend and the lines are just a little bit blurred, I think. So I'm glad that it didn't work out that way for me. I know it works for some people, but um, yeah. And also like the freedom is such an important part of my value system. And so when my mum got sick, we could just pack up and leave and we didn't have to consult with anyone. And so if I, if I ended up co-parenting with a friend of mine, like I wouldn't have been able to move back to Australia. So I feel like life just pans out how it's supposed to in some some ways there's so many extra considerations with a I guess there's knowing what you did and then there's no one known which is you know yeah. friend known co-parenting more situation and yeah so many extra complications isn't there yeah this is like I, th- I do think ultimately even for me doing this solo as opposed to you know partnership has been perfect for yeah. me it's been a lot easier than I thought it was going to be um and yeah it's just allowed me to retain that freedom and I do feel like if I want to meet somebody that's on the cards for me I just at the moment I'm not that bothered about it but I have dated someone and it went really well and it was you know it was great and I would be open to that again in the future but just I love just being with my daughter so much it's just like I feel like it's a dream when I put her to bed before and she's you know caught reading a book and She's so sweet. And I'm like, is this all a dream? Like, how did I get so lucky? How has this worked out so well for me? Um, It's amazing. Well, if that doesn't make you um, decide to progress with this, if you're on the fence, I don't know what will. (laughs) (laughs) So is there anything you want to say to anyone who is just considering this journey? Oh, I would say go for it. Yeah, I know that it's a big decision and it's, takes a lot of consideration um but you can do it you can absolutely do it if I'm like super lazy and I've done it so (laughs) I mean I'm not lazy lazy but I have lazy parts to me so I'm like you can do it (laughs) well thank you so much for sharing your story I can't wait for everyone to hear it oh thank you so much for having me I'm Alicia and this is the No Need for Prince Charming podcast, bringing you stories of Australian solo mums who created their own happy ending. If you like what you heard, please follow or subscribe to make sure you don't miss out on future episodes and leave a like, a review or share with your friends to help others find it easier. Bye for now.